All right, let me catch you. Three, two. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast, a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. And today, Nick is not here. He's busy playing Servivio on the internet because he's addicted to that game. Um, and we have is two other people. Game, is that that game where he like runs around? Two, 2D Fortnite, yeah. 2D yeah, Fortnite, okay. and he, he claims to hate oh Fortnite. <laughs> Serviv.io. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it can, it's oh dangerous. I got to get on the server. He, he claimed, he's like, I hate Fortnite. And then I've seen him play this game, and it's the same thing as Fortnite. It's just less complicated. And so it just, something's not adding up. <laughs> Jude plays with them. Okay. Um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's yeah. Funny. So it's, it's funny watching them play together because uh, Jude will be like, or usually Nick to Jude is like, Jude, why didn't you tell me that the guy was there? <laughs> <laughs> the other day I had a video call with Nick for work and the way that something was set up, I don't know if he could tell, but in the reflection of something, I could tell that he was just playing the game <laughs> while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is probably what he's he's busy doing right now. Dude, I don't doubt it because he told me, I texted him, I said, can you record tonight? He said, I got an elders meeting. I said, is that code for Servivio? And he was like, no, but you should definitely play with me and Jude sometime. So he's recruiting. <laughs> he's, he's always trying to play. Um, but yeah, so our two guests are uh, Nicole and Scott, uh, Kyle, right? Sure. Yes, you got it right I this got time. It. Yeah. Good job, Andy. Right. Let's go. Yeah, Nicole, this is your second time on. Scott, this is your first. Thank you guys for, for coming on the pod. Um, yeah. Long time listener, so, first time caller. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, anyways, we're, gonna, we're just going to... We've never heard that phrase get... before. No, I have no clue what that means. Have you ever listened to sports talk? Like sports radio? No, I don't. I don't listen to radio, dude. We're at 2020, man. It's time to <laughs> get with the times. Why do you think I made a podcast and not a radio show? <laughs> you know? Because it's way you more gotta, That's That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but anyways, we'll, we'll just get straight into it. So, so this is starting, we got out, an this email. Is starting out contentious. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. We got an email a couple months ago from somebody emailing to the Optive podcast. They had a big question, um, and it's taken taken a while to get to it, but I think it's an important question. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start out by reading the email that was sent, and then I will then we'll go from there. Um, so here's the email that was sent. It said, "Good evening." Uh, I have a question regarding how one who is striving to pursue a life in godliness should treat or interact with those who struggle to maintain strength in their battle against mental issues slash instability, such things like anxiety, stress, and depression, especially to those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. I have been struggling with this with a couple friends of mine. It seems no matter what I say slash do or logically explain in the best way, uh, best biblical way I know how to do, 
They hear, but don't practice. I also struggle with the idea of having mental instability, especially if you are a believer. I know this question is a bit broad, but I believe with the major rise in mental instability um, in our youth slash young adults, this topic will be intriguing to your listeners. Um, so we had, so Nicole, you were on the music podcast and during that you had brought up that, uh, some of the, well, you, you want to, you know what I'm talking about? You had brought up some of the, um, depression. You said that Scott had been going through some depression and some of the music and stuff. So do you guys want to kind of share what exactly was going on during that time in your life and like how it's, it's, it affected your relationship with God? That's kind of a broad question. Um, but yeah, we can jump in a little bit. Scott, do you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, is this about depression or about like mental illness as a whole sort of set of categories? Uh, depression. Yeah. Just do just mental illness as a whole, I guess. I yeah. think it's mean, we'll like an emphasis on depression. So I think we'll cover a wide variety of, of different things. Sure. Um, so my sophomore and junior years of college, I had seasonal affective disorder, um, which is just like kind of like a, like a mini depression basically during the winter months, likely caused by lack of sunlight. Um, uh, so that was kind of my introduction. I just, there were times where I just suddenly felt really lonely and like really sad. Um, during times when I would have expected that I'd be happy. I'm home seeing my family over winter break. I'm seeing all my buddies from high school. Um, you know, I'm not studying for exams and under a lot of stress, but every, every like winter break during college, I was just suddenly really lonely and it was a sort of crushing kind of feeling. Um, and then during my senior year of college, it was basically, so Nicole and I got engaged in the middle of November and that was basically also the start, I think, yeah. coincidentally, when I like well, maybe entered into a long depression um, that lasted about four and a half years. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was tough for me to get excited about anything. My mood was just generally um, more like depressed. I was, I wasn't very happy super often. Um uh, not a lot of things got me excited. It was basically like food sometimes and sports sometimes. And some days were better than others, but like the trend line over four and a half years was, you know, it was like my mood was significantly subdued. Mm-hmm. Um, my relationship with God looked very differently. I came to Christ my freshman year of college and just had like three and a half years of a really vibrant faith. Um, like experiencing God's joy, often connecting with him. Like every time I open the Bible, sharing my faith really naturally with friends and roommates and family and professors. And it just all kind of like clicked and it was amazing. And then kind of around the same time, uh, like that started to turn a bit. Um, and it was more difficult to find that same sort of vibrancy in my relationship with God even though I was doing the same sorts of things, studying my Bible, praying, being in community with other believers, sharing my faith, trying to sustain all the sorts of spiritual disciplines that led to vibrancy in life. Um, but now it was kind of isolated from the joy and the vibrancy that accompanied 
those same sorts of disciplines in the years previous. Um, and I was married. And so I was like, I was so excited to marry Nicole. She was my best friend. Um, but now I was just depressed all the time. And so I, I think for both of us, neither of us expected that. Yeah. Uh, I almost pity her more because she didn't sign up for, for any of that. Um, but why don't you share what your experience was kind of with me a little bit and then maybe also some of your experience Mine, with yeah. mental health. Yeah. So um, like Scott said, right around the time that we got engaged is when he started getting into a deeper depression and we didn't know for quite a while, but um, I think we each probably questioned on our own before we talked about it with each other. Like, oh, maybe you're depressed. Maybe that's what's going on. But it was like this terrifying thing to talk about because we didn't really know any other people who had gone through something like that or at least knew or, or at least had uh, talked about it. So we were going to – we were doing premarital counseling uh, at the time with a therapist in Madison that Nick had connected us to and recommended to us. And I think it might've even just been in our very first session, which is usually like an intake session. And, and in that first session, she brought up to Scott, I don't remember how she worded it. I don't know if you do, but she said something like, do you think you might be depressed? And I think in some ways that was relieving to both of us to hear somebody say out loud what was going on and to, for us to not just think like, I don't know. I don't know what to yeah. not think, but. Cause we were really just stumbling through it at that point. Like mm-hmm. I described those seasons of seasonal affective disorder and then my introduction into depression, but that's only with like six, seven, eight years clarity of looking back on it. Like at right. the time it was just like, I don't really understand what's going on. I'm finishing college. I'm getting married. I mm-hmm. should be really happy, but. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling any of those emotions. Right. So I think for me, for a long time, I was a terrible partner to somebody who was going through depression because I'm, um, I just didn't understand it. Neither of us did, especially at the beginning, but I just was like, why can't you just choose to be happy? Or why can't you just like, you should read your Bible more. You should pray more. That'll fix it. And And I think it's easy to write and understanding joy as like a Christian virtue of choosing to, um, choosing to declare that like Jesus has risen, that like God has defeated death, you know, that sin and this world have no, uh, no control over us and we should be happy. We should have joy because of that is a really conflicting sort of thing to experience when you're just under this sort of consistent crushing weight yeah mm-hmm. i was gonna say that's kind of like the baseline of this question it feels like like I, I feel like what this person is asking is like okay i'm telling these people these truths and they and they just won't listen it's like they won't they, there's something something blocking it and and so like yeah i guess you guys can yeah. continue but that that feels like the base of of where this is coming from totally and i can relate a lot and i have i mean in some ways i have a lot of sympathy for that person because I felt that way with Scott. Um, I can remember we – I don't remember when this was in the whole timeline, but there was a time where we were sitting at some park. It wasn't where we lived, so we must have been visiting someone. And we were sitting in some park on a bench where I – it was the first time that it clicked for me that like 
my pressuring of Scott of like, can't you get this together? Because I mean, again, we all I had known for the first few years of our marriage was him being depressed. And it was so different from the person that I had met two years prior to us getting married. And so then I'm also in the midst of this culture of like, well, isn't he supposed to be the one spiritually leading our marriage? And like, he's struggling in his relationship with God. And, and so I think, and we both in different ways had insecurities about who we were as a man and a woman and not fitting all of the stereotypes. And so just a lot of things wound up. And I think I was really, I, I just, I was not gracious. I was not compassionate. Um, in the year, like pr- especially more recently, Nick has preached about like what we should do with people who are doubting and who are struggling. And he's, I remember him preaching in particular in one sermon about how like those, those sorts of people who are experiencing doubt in their faith, what they need is our compassion. And I don't know that I really was that compassionate with Scott for the first couple of years. I think I was more like beating him over the head with a stick, like, come on, get it together. When really, well, when- okay, to be, to be fair though, I think like when, when some people think of compassion, when I think of compassion, I think like we should probably talk about what is compassion because like when I think of compassion, I'm like, I got to tell the compassion is me telling people the truth and the truth of like, Oh, Jesus died on the cross. Like, why are you sad? Like you need to feel joy. Like this is truth. Truth and compassion are like one in the same thing. And so like, I think what, well, what exactly is compassion then? What do you think? How does that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you break, if you break the word compassion down etymologically, it's like coming alongside somebody's feeling like it's compassion. So it's, it's not, Mm. it's not like, I think that, I think what you're saying is wrapped up in the virtue of love. Like it yes. is a part of love to right. say the truth, yeah. but I think compassion is a specific, totally. is like a specific part of love that is like a directive, emotional coming alongside of somebody. Right. So I think it is like within within the larger virtue that is love. Like there are different, um, there like there are different parts of that that you can press on. So, so it might be compassion in this particular area, but I think, I think compassion doesn't necessarily mean, okay, I need to, in expressing compassion, I'm expressing the entire virtue of love, including yeah. the right. truth and all of the coming alongside and all of the sympathy and all the, et cetera, et cetera. Which is interesting because like, I have no idea how to show compassion. Like I, I think I'm absolutely terrible at it. And so when right. you I mean, say this something is the, like compassion. Compassion requires an incredible amount of strength. Like in order to be able to – so I mean yeah. right, the apostle writes to to weep with those who weep and to, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And to be able to – I mean Nick talked about this um, in, the, in the podcast. There was a podcast done for High Points Podcast where he was talking about um, unrepressed – becoming unrepressed. And in that he talked about how um, – he realized as he was talking with a couple who had just gone through losing a child that like it takes a certain amount of strength to be able to enter into that situation and like weep in the kind of way that they're weeping, you know? Um, So, so yeah. So I think, I think that's something that grows over time, you know? Yeah. And as you were talking about strength, John, I think that a lot of, um, a lot of strength is best manifested in situations like this when it's directed 
towards often withholding words. Yep. And either like the emotive sort of response, right? Like weeping with those who weep or listening and trying to draw out what the other person's experience is. Yeah. And that was the thing that I was terrible at. Like I, I mean, in a lot of ways, Andy, like I think you and I have similar personalities. And so all and you I were probably about Andy's age. Yeah. And I was probably about your age. Cause how old are you, Andy? I'm 20. Yeah. So we got married at 21. So when he was, so I was 20 when he was starting to get depressed and then in my early twenties when we were first married. And so I just didn't know how to like not say everything that went through my head. And I yeah. didn't. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Let's end it. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's, I need to think it's, of it. Yeah. Cause I think like there was, there's something in me that feels like, Oh, if, if this is true and if I feel it, I've got to say it because they probably need to hear it. And I, I've learned a lot about discretion and, and how that in a lot of instances or like prudence, I think the way Nick talks about is doing the right thing at the right time. And that often means withholding something. And like you said, Scott, that is what, takes so much strength and so much discipline to be able to not say the thing. And so I realized, like, cause there totally, there were times where Scott needed to hear some truth. Like you need to get off the couch, you need to go on a run, or you need to like stop eating that junk food and have something better. Or you need to call a friend and talk to them right now. Like those, he needed the truth in those sorts of instances, but the sort of truth of like, you need to believe God more, first of all, was not what he needed to do because he was fighting to believe God. And second of all, was not the compassion he needed in that moment. He needed me to hear, he needed me to recognize all the places throughout the Bible that talk about lament and loneliness and the dark night of the soul. Like I wasn't sitting in that sort of thing with him. I just wanted to get out of that. Now, some of that also comes from my own experiences because When I was 12, my brother and sister were in a terrible car crash and I didn't see the crash happen, but we lived out in the country. And so by the time my parents and I got to the cars, the crash site, we were there before the ambulance was there. And so I saw a lot of terrible stuff that a 12 year old should never have to see. Then my sister was in a coma for six weeks and she was in the hospital for the entire summer. And so I had this like terrible, tragic, unexpected thing happen And around the time that Scott and I were married, that same sister moved to Madison, which is where we were living. And I was having tons of PTSD because it was the first time in a long time she and I had lived in the same city. And so I was having terrible anxiety, lots of flashbacks. And the last thing I wanted to do was sit in sadness because it would just bring me back to all of those places. So like Scott's depression and my anxiety were just rubbing up against each other in terrible ways. Which kind of makes for a really smooth first year of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend it, John. Well, if you could try and right. coordinate that, right. yeah, I'll try Thanks. to. I'll try to try to spur on some anxiety in Christina, and I'll try my best to to enter depression yeah. shortly. Yeah. Well, if there okay. was some sort of pandemic going on that could facilitate all that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to. I want to back up a little bit because I remember. One time when I was a kid and I was, uh, we all, me and my dad went to this men's campfire, uh, at our church and all these guys are sitting around the campfire 
And this guy, we, they all started, all these older guys started sharing their testimonies. And like, this mm. is something that I'll probably remember for the rest of my life. One of these guys, he got up and he was like a strong, manly guy. He just like a manly dude. And he, it seemed like this dude never had any problems. <clears throat> and he started to share his testimony and he started to talk about how he went into this deep depression. And he, at one time in his life, he thought, you know, depression, like that's not real. That's, that's for weak human beings. Like that's not, no, it's, but then he said in his testimony, he was like, depression is very real. And like that, like hit me super hard. I just remember, like, I still think about that on a regular basis yeah. is like, I would have never thought of this dude as being depressed or even ever looking a certain way or, or whatever. When I think of depression, I feel like I think of the wrong things and like, or how do, you know, I think of like, oh, it has to be somebody like just doesn't talk a lot, like who who is like has their head down a lot, who is in their posture and stuff like that. And it's like, I, I don't even think that that's the case. I think going through high school, I think I was probably depressed mostly through high school. Yet I, I showed it in a completely different way. So I was going to ask in what ways like did are, are I don't know. This is a weird question, but like, how can you know if somebody's even depressed? You know, mm. because it feels like it's like such a mystery. Um, how did people know that you got you were going through that, Scott? Or did people ask about it or or what? Um, I think I had like a couple buddies in college that um, I think were probably aware that like something about me was different. But I don't think either of us really had the language to describe it for a time. Um then I think once, once I became aware of it, I tried to talk about it as I would any other yeah. part of my life, you know, my relationship with Nicole or, you know, following the bucks or some art project I'm working on, um, in part because like, that's just what was going on in my life. And yeah. I don't know, I feel like that candor is helpful for me in dealing with it. And then additionally to kind of give other people the sort of opportunity to identify with it if they're experiencing some of it. Because it can be kind of a weird thing to talk about, especially in Christian circles. Yeah, I think you did a lot yeah. to try and like mitigate any stigma of it in the circles that we were in. Like he would, he would always talk about going to counseling, and he would refer to his therapist as his shrink. And I was always like, "Why are you calling them a shrink?" And he, it, it frustrated me. But he's like, "I'm just trying to make it more accessible for other people, so they don't feel like they can't." like talk about it with me. So there were, that would be helpful to share a bit more about the process once I was in the middle of depression. So, um, well, well, wait, I want to answer part of Andy's question though. I think some of it is like, if you know, if you knew the person before and now you know them in the depression, Mm -hmm. it's easier to tell when you have a frame of reference. Mm -hmm. I think it can be hard to tell if you, haven't known the person otherwise mm-hmm. well okay so like when i was it's weird i i feel like there's no there's no like i haven't done any research on this so this is just something that i've thought up in my head and it could be completely wrong so if it's wrong just tell me to shut up um basically i feel like there's two different sides of depression i feel like there's a person who like has like a lot of like like sorrow and like sadness towards themselves and then there's a person that has a lot of like bitterness and hatred towards others. And I felt like I had a lot of bitterness and hatred towards, well, I did everybody that wasn't me, but I don't think anybody would have ever thought that I 
was depressed. And I don't even know if I was, but, but the more that I listen to people talk about depression, it seems as if I was. And so like, that's what's the confusing part about it is that like, I don't think any of my friends or anybody that knew me, even my family, they, they wouldn't have been like, no, nah, he, he's not depressed. They would have just been like, he's just, he's just angry or something like that. And so it's, I don't know. It's just like, I, it feels really confusing to me to, to, mm-hmm. to know. And sometimes you, you don't know, but, well, but it does seem like a, yeah, no, I think you're spot on in identifying that there's like different types of depressions. And I think that, I think that there's like way more than two, um, right? Yeah. Like they can be caused by different things. Like sometimes it's winter and a lack of sunlight. Sometimes, um, it can be an event that's happening to you. It, maybe it's brought on by stress or maybe, uh, for people who've experienced trauma in the past that can like reincite it years later. But there, I mean, there's also like postpartum depression, which is mm-hmm. purely, at least in the beginning, hormonal, and then can spiral into something else. Like I went through that. So that, yeah, I think hmm. talking about yeah. different depressions is, that's the same thing I was going to say is yeah. really helpful. Yeah. And then based on <laughs> and I, an individual's personality, it's going to resonate completely differently. Right. Like yeah. your postpartum versus somebody else's postpartum would be completely different experiences based on who you are and how you're built. Right. Right. Yeah. I I do think it's, I do think it's important to though, to at, to at some point have the discussion about, right. There are different kinds of depressions and sometimes, and, and they require different kinds of solutions, you know, like there are certain there's, and I think it's, it's tricky. I think what becomes so confusing about this topic, especially nowadays is everything gets lumped under the title of depression. And it's like, sometimes it's like, no, you're not depressed. Your life just sucks right now. Like that's not that's not the same thing as depression. Like as opposed to what you're talking about, Scott, where you're like, okay, everything in my life is good. Why do I feel this way? Like that's that's some that like that's depression. As opposed to like, oh, you know, I feel really bad. Okay, what just happened? Well, my mom just died. It's like you're not de- you're not depressed. You're like you're sad because of the situation that that's happened. Or if you're, if yeah. you're depressed, like you're depressed in a very different kind of way. Essentially um, like that's healthy. It's good to be sad about right, those things. It's, right. So I think totally that's, I think thing. that's what can become so confusing about this. And I think that's, that's what can become so tricky about like what sort of, I assume at some point we'll get into some sort of conversation about, about remedies. Not that we're like, <laughs> in any sort of way qualified to be like, these are the things that people (laughs) should do. But, but I think there are different kinds of remedies for these different kinds of depressions. Like there are the kinds of depressions that are like situationally, everything is going well. And like in my thinking it's ordered properly and I'm just feeling this way. Then there are kind of the kinds of depressions that are common in, um, in young people nowadays where it's like, it's not so much a depression that is in some way, physiological but it's it's a depression that comes from like i have no plan for my future so like it's a depression that comes from a situation that the situation could potentially be changed and that itself would ameliorate a lot of the depression or there's the kinds of depressions that's like i listen to uh there's a psychologist um who i listen to who is who i respect a lot and he was like i literally have 50 percent of my clients that when i when i get them on a regimen of waking up at the same time every morning and eating a good breakfast literally 50 percent of them no longer have depression within a month and it's like so there's all these different depressions 
and it can mm-hmm. get so confusing to try because I they they should not be under the same umbrella, like because they're well, not John, meant to be treated in the same way. John, you went through you, you were depressed for a while as well. What like what was that like for you? Um, right. I mean, I think mine was was largely situational. Like mine was so. Yeah. So I I grew up in a in a home that had a lot of. Um, where like the expression of emotion was not a particularly safe thing. Um, and so because of that, I did a lot of like repressing of emotions and I got to the place I, I, the, the way I describe it is like, I sort of developed two selves where it was like, okay, there was the outside self that was used to kind of placate the situation. And there was the inside self that was where like, all of my feelings were sort of being stuffed into. And I remember like, I remember when I got to college, I was like, do I, do I even have any inside self? Like, is there anything that I actually truly deeply believe because I've been spending so much time focusing on like building this outside persona to keep me safe. And so that was the thing that was depressing. It wasn't so much that like there was something physiologically that was going on in my mind. Like it was just, I had no purpose. I had no sense of identity. I had no good rhythms in my life. I wasn't a Christian at this point. So I had like no sense of my eternal destiny. And so it was, so it was terrible. Now I also had depression. I also experienced another uh, round of, of yeah, depression, darkness, gloom, whatever you want to uh, classify it as after I was a Christian and that came from, um, I, oh, this, I is, Christian, is this the great theological mix up. <laughs> this is the great <laughs> theological mix up of 2016. Um, wow. was I, when I first became a Christian, I wanted to solve immediately the issue of predestinate predestination and free will. Um, and, and you did. I, and I, I saw it. it done. I became, I became a Congratulations. And I became, I became what is like sort of colloquially known as like a hyper Calvinist where it's like the only, like the, basically the only attribute of God that matters is point. sovereignty. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, like the only attribute that matters is sovereignty. Everything is like God is the final cause of everything, including evil. And like, it is just, Everything that's happening is God all the time. And when that got broken and I I like read a long paper that was a, this like paper war between a Trinity professor and John Piper and the Trinity professor who is Arminian just like, just destroyed John Piper, at least in those papers. And this like just completely blew up my whole world and like blew up my conception of God and it blew up like my way of dealing with difficulty because previously I dealt with difficulty by being like, okay, God is a hundred, like God is the one who directly wants this to happen to me right now. So I can be fine because I know God wants to do this to me, even if it's really painful. He is the one who's behind it. So he's specifically trying to grow something in me. So it's all good. And, um, I no longer had that and I was going through like a difficult breakup at the same time. And then because of that, I was also dealing, I like at this time was still dealing with some sexual addiction stuff and like that started to spiral out of control. And so it was like all these, it was all these situational things 
that were creating like a worse and worse and worse and worse situation that then I was like going along with by like staying up really late, thinking about how terrible mm-hmm. I was and like not eating well. And then I like decided not to work another year with crew. And so I felt like, okay, vocationally I'm a failure as well. I'm just working at this donut shop with a mechanical engineering degree having no idea how to interact with God and living under your car. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, and so it was just, it was just situational, you know, like it was. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's a helpful thing though, John. Like I do think, I do think that like at one point you said you might just, you might not actually be depressed. You might just be sad because your mom just passed away. Like you gave that as an example, but I do think that sometimes those situations when they spiral out of control do end in depression. hundred percent. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. Hmm. I totally think that's true. I think there. I think there is a way I still think it's like, it's so tricky to like try and parse these things out though, because I, I still yeah, do I, think that in some way, like it's a different thing. Like it's a thing, I, like you yeah. get into sort of this, like Nick has talked about this, like you get into these positive feedback loops that are negative where it's like, you start to feel bad. So then you take this action that makes it worse. You take another mm-hmm. action that makes it worse. Then you feel bad again. Then you take another action. And eventually you end up in this place where it's like, okay, yeah, you're in a hole and it's going to take a long time to climb out of. Um, but it is, it is, in, it is, it has a different treatment than the treatment of, okay, this is something that is actually physiological, you know? And like, is it, is like a diagnosable, like, condition that would be depression as opposed to um yeah i mean i guess i guess the other one would also potentially be quote unquote like a condition that is that is depression but it's it's a bit different yeah i think i think the because i don't i don't entirely agree with that that like because i think ultimately you get to this point where well i'll let me back up i i guess the i do agree that it is complicated that so many things fall under the category of depression I do think that that's really complicated and does make it difficult to know. Like, I think we're experiencing a similar thing right now as we talk about trauma and as we talk about PTSD. Like, I think those are mm-hmm. terms and conditions that are becoming less taboo. And I think we'll experience a similar thing of like, well, is all of that actually trauma? Was all of that PTSD? I don't know. Like, even for me, where I like, when I am being, when I have a clear mind and I hear someone talk about like, these are all the symptoms of PTSD. I'm like, yes, I had almost every single one of those. So yeah. But I even still feel like, oh my goodness, am I making this up just because it's like a trendy word right now? Like I, I think that. Oh yeah. Nicole, dude. Oh my gosh. In high school, people would be like, I'm depressed. And I'd be like, no, I like shut no, I'm sorry. Like I had to say this. Um, I, I and people would be like, I'm so depressed all the time. But everybody said, and it was because like, for some reason, like the word became trendy to say. Like you just said, you see it all over Twitter, all over Instagram. People saying like they'll make jokes with it. That like just the word depression. Like, you know, I'd be like, shut up, you're not depressed. I didn't know if they were or not, but I would tell them they weren't. And it was like <laughs> that. That also is like a, that has to be a part of the discussion because there yeah. are that that is just a word that's just thrown around and it's not respected but what happens if you tell somebody who uses that word no you're not depressed they'll be like how dare you say that to me and it, and, and it's like well i don't know I, yeah i don't know that's that was my 
my little Shabil. <laughs> I don't know where that yeah, came Yeah, like I, but, I uh, think that's – so I, I, I think that's a hard thing because I guess like – depending on your relationship with a person or your desired outcome for that person, you can go about it a couple of different ways. Cause like maybe, maybe the person really wasn't depressed, but something's wrong. Well, yeah. yeah. And I think furthermore that like, I mean, to be direct, I don't necessarily think unless you get a counseling degree Andy, you shouldn't be telling somebody that they're not depressed. Totally, dude. This was, I don't do that anymore. I have not. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I'm just I saying in general. Be- it's like, I think, I think the role of a friend of someone who seems depressed is to ask them questions, to listen mm-hmm. four times as much as you're speaking, um, to try to be empathetic and imagine what their experience is like, to maybe connect them with somebody who has walked through that before or to direct him to like a, a psychiatric professional. Um, I think those are really helpful things that you can do. Um, I think too, like with that, making sure there is somebody in that person's life who they will listen to. Like <clears throat> I knew I, that Scott might not always listen to me if I thought he needed to change something, but that he would listen to Nick um, or when we were living in the Twin Cities, Twin Cities, he would listen to our pastor there. Like, I think that that, yeah, I think that's a, you're bringing up a good point, Scott, that like, and maybe this gets into a little bit, like how, what does treatment look like? <clears throat> but I think based on the role that different people have in a person's life, their job is different mm-hmm. and not like, I mean, and Nick and some of the other pastors at High Point have talked about this, that like, it's not a this or that approach when it comes to how they consider treating mental illness and people who are going through depression. It's like, yeah, you should meet with a pastor. You should talk about this because it is going to affect your relationship with the Lord. But also there are things that you probably should meet with a therapist for as well. But they're, but in therapists, they might not know how to integrate your faith into what they're doing. And so it shouldn't be the only component that you have. And like, so I, I think like knowing what your role is in a person's life and like my role in Scott's life when he was depressed was not to like kick his butt while he was down. <laughs> like there are times in our marriage where we need to be that for each other, but there were other people who were doing that and that, that wasn't what my job should have been. Well, I do have a question about that because um, for, so for, from the perspective of, of my generation, it, it's hard to get somebody that they can talk to because a lot of where their depression is like coming from is the fact that they can't trust anyone that they can't trust the adults in their lives. They can't trust these people. And so like, I'm looking at, I look at these suicide statistics and for, for teens and it's just, it's just year by year, it just continues to go up the, the suicide rates and um, especially for teenagers and, and even the dropout rates and uh, all that um, like things just seem to get worse and worse and worse. And so like, if somebody, I understand what you're saying because somebody you do need to, to talk to somebody. And if somebody didn't come into my life, I think I would be in a horrible place. But I don't know who I would direct people to if I was a high schooler right now and I was going through these types of feelings or if I was somebody in my generation going through these types of feelings who they can't trust their teachers, they can't trust their coaches, they can't trust their parents. What do you do with those types of people? I feel like it's, it seems like a dead end in a lot of situations. And it's, I know the person that sent this email in and, and, and I know that they've expressed some of the like, who are you going to tell? Like, who, who can I tell? You know, it, 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so if the scenario is that there's nobody else that this person trusts, I think you try to make yourself as trustworthy as possible. So I would do that by hmm. trying to share all the junk in my life with them and be like brutally honest with, oh. you know, the, the most difficult, the, the types of things I only share with the people in my most inner circle. Um, and hopefully that would give them the ability to feel confident that I'm not going to take advantage of them, that I'm not going to abuse what they share with me, that I am for their good, that I've got nothing to hold over them. And hopefully that would allow them to, to feel that level of confidence. Yeah. Cause then, <clears throat> I mean, so when we were, when we worked with campus ministry and we were working with college students, we experienced this a bit where there, se- there were a lot of college students we were working with who were depressed or anxious, but going through some sort of men- mental instability, like this person wrote. And I mean, it, it was heavy for their friends. It was hard for their friends. They had to learn basically how to be good friends. And so, yeah. I mean, and that, I mean, like, I feel for this person and for, I mean, like, they're not the only person going through this, obviously, but like, it is, it is a lot. It is a big burden to bear if you're the one friend in this person's life who they're willing to talk to about it. And so I think what Scott said for your own health has to be followed up with then if they trust you bringing another person into it. Like maybe if, if you've got an older friend who you know could be of help to this person, then then the three of you starting to hang out. And then saying, well, how would you feel about talking to with me to my pastor about this? And then how yeah. would you like Right, that's gotta be the first step. Or because you can't yeah. be the only group. Honestly, yeah. Or I think it, yeah, I think what, it can be really helpful to be like to to do something very similar to that, but instead of saying, okay, I'm gonna bring this this other person of mine in, but being like who is the first person who you think sure. could also mm-hmm. be brought in? It's like that was, there was a buddy of mine who was, who was helping me to walk through some of this stuff. And like, who is the guy I told first? And then he asked me, he was like, okay, who, who should you tell next? And so it wasn't mm-hmm. like he was trying to bring somebody else. Cause I think it's, I think it can be very difficult to go from, zero to a hundred in a relationship where it's like, okay, I'm yeah. going from, I don't know this person at all to now I'm, or I know this person from a distance and now I'm choosing to go there as fully as yeah. possible. But, uh, and the other thing that that does too, John, is it does put some of the responsibility on the person themselves. And I think that's really important because I think like you can try as much as you want to um, like force somebody to grow in these areas, but they've got to they've got to be willing to do it. Yeah. I mean, the same, it's, yeah. it's like similar when you're talking about addiction, like alcoholism, they, you, you, there's a reason why people have to check themselves in and you can't force them, you know, like, because mm-hmm. they have to have a will in it to right. grow in this thing. So right. that method, John puts some of that on them to like, all right, now who are you going to tell next? Cause this has got to be your thing. Right. And I think so it's going off that too, Nicole. because like, oh. Because the so much of so much of like the cry of depression is this sense of like helplessness and hopelessness. So it is a way like in a like I think it's very helpful to start taking to to be able to take a small step that is like okay I'm doing something that is now helping me, and that's like that sense of a little bit of like of agency mm-hmm. can be really really helpful, and it, and it can have a compounding effect. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. 
And so, yeah, kind of going off that then, at what point, because I know that this is a hard question. This is even a hard question for like when sharing the gospel. At what point do you say, okay, this person doesn't really want to change and like have to walk away from that relationship because it's just damaging? Like I feel like I feel like a lot of people become uh, – I don't know how to say this. A lot of people become – Maybe not depressed, but a lot of people like get oh. <laughs> codependent or just caught up. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Just get, get get caught up in these relationships where they're trying to help somebody who is depressed. That person really doesn't want to change. And they just – and like – and the one person just stays and stays and stays and, and nothing's getting done. It's like – it feels like when you're sharing the gospel with somebody over and over again, you're trying and they just don't want to hear it. At some point, you're supposed to walk. You're supposed to say, okay, you got you to get up and go. What do you do in in these situations when it when it feels like just the same thing is at the line is that, is, that, is is on the line is that this person's life is in jeopardy but but like at some point we're not we're not in control of what happens with their life um, we can only help as so much does that make sense does that does that question make mm-hmm. sense yeah and I don't feel like I have a good answer for that question like we went. Th- we went through these sorts of questions and situations with these students that we were dealing with. There was, and, and it, I mean, it was hard. Like for some of them, they found ways to be a good friend and also still have their own boundaries, but the other person was still hurt. For some of them, they're like, see you later. I can't do this. And it damaged that relationship for years. And I, I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me and Scott, we were married. I'm, we made a covenant. So like there was no option. Um, I think you've got to be really measured in what sort of relationship you're communicating that you want. If you're like, Hey man, like I'm there for you. Like call me, let me know what you need. And then like three weeks later, you're like, Oh, this is really heavy. And I just feel like completely sapped every time we talk. I can't do this. That's going to have a really jarring effect. And so you need to be, I think you need to be measured in what you're committing to and then be as consistent as you can be. And there might come a time where Mm -hmm. um, the weight is too strong of a burden. Mm -hmm. uh, and It's like crushing you. Yeah. And maybe then consider changing, but like that can be a really drastic um, sort of experience for the person who's afflicted. Yeah. So I would say you have to be really thoughtful in that. And then also always be having somebody who's kind of a couple life stages ahead of you that you're kind of consulting uh, intermittently. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's helpful to, to um, people when you're, when you're depressed and especially when you're depressed and relying on other people, it can be very easy to get caught up in the vagary of like, okay, this person is saying that they want to help me, but like, do they actually, I'm not really sure. And so there, there can be, I think there can be a way and this, this, (laughs) right. This certainly needs to be done carefully, but like, I think there can be a way to, to communicate clearly the kinds of things that you're committing to. And, and that like helps give that person something to hold on to too, you know, like for example, my, my fiance is walking through, she has a friend who is, who has just been struggling with some, some really hard stuff and has experienced bouts of depression because of that. And she's just been very clear on like, this is how far I'll go. 
these are the times when I start to get upset at you. Like these are the times when it feels like it's too much for me. And that has been like that because she's able to like, to, to find that within herself of like, okay, where are these boundaries actually? And then she's able to communicate them and follow through them consistently. It's been very helpful for that other person because then she doesn't have to get lost in the vagary of like, am I too much? Like, is she sure that she's okay with this? It's like, because she's communicated Mm -hmm. some sort of like limit, she knows that she's within what she's willing to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And like her, and that community, like her boundaries are not like restrictive. Like, it's not like, okay, if this, it's not creating this suffocating space where this person, like if they have one freak out, then okay, I'm out of here. Like they're, they're still, it's still a wide open space, but having some sort of understanding of that has been, has been really helpful for this other person. So I don't know necessarily that that's the right approach to take in every single situation, but um, I think, I think it is easy to get lost in the vagary of, okay, does this person really want to help me or are they just trying to be nice, you know? I think too, one of the things to keep in mind, and I'm, I don't know, like you brought this up, Andy, talking about like high school age. And I think you can even go beyond that into college age as well, probably, but that like in this particular generation where a lot of studies show that there is a lack of social skills, there's less Uh, relationship being built the way that it used to be. If you're in this sort of a relationship, I could imagine a person taking on a lot more responsibility than they should. And some of that is because like the world isn't as it should be. Like some of it's because people have terrible relationships with their parents and that's not the way that God intended for that to be. And it's because they don't have, they're not connected to a church when they should be a part of a church community and church family that can care for them. But I think that it is a good thing to recognize in yourself that you can't be this person's savior. And I mean that both in a spiritual sense and also in a just a literal physical sense. Like you, you aren't going to be the one who gets them out of depression or cures them of their anxiety. You can be a good friend to them and you can help them along the way, but you are not the person who's going to save them. <laughs> and so there, were, I, I remember a time where I was counseling this uh, a girl who was going through really hard things. And I felt like I was out of my wheelhouse and I didn't know what to do. And I was asking Nick for some advice. And he, he talked about how, um, I think this was in, in Pilgrim's Progress, how there were different guides that got this person to different, through different lengths of the journey. And, and that you, he was like, just try and ask yourself, like, what part of the journey do you need to be on right now? Like what, what part, can you lead them to next? Like, what do they need right now? And what can you provide? All right, then just do that. But don't see yourself Mm -hmm. as like needing to take care of every issue in this person's life. Mm -hmm. And that was really huge for me 
in this particular relationship, but I think it showed me that a lot of times in these sorts of relationships, I do tend to over bond and take too much responsibility. And I need to do a better job of having boundaries. And I need to remember, I'm not the savior. I'm not going to get this person out of everything, but there might be some things that I can do. I think that's really important. So, okay. So going off that, this is a question for all three of you guys. So, so any of you can jump in and answer first. Um, when I f- first like started following Christ more a couple like two years ago or a year and a half ago, I, I realized first thing I realized was that I have no clue what friendship is or what it even means. Like like I, I started like what really affected me a ton was the fact that John and Vince and Luke these guys wanted to be my friend. Like they really cared about me and being my friend, and it meant a lot. And it still does to this day. I think about it and I'm like that's awesome. Yeah, and dude. so <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> So like what, uh, I guess each of you have, you have three different personalities and you guys probably have three different ways of dealing with, with depression and and different types of depression and whatnot. And so how could somebody be, what would it have been like to have like the best possible friend in your guys' situation individually? Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, whoever wants to... (laughs) So Nicole was really. I was Scott's best possible friend in this situation. <laughs> right, you say it as a joke because we had kind of a rough sort of initial going of it, but um, but yeah, I mean, when I think of friendship and when I think of a friend, like I really think of you. Those years we lived in Minnesota, um, and just how like truly long suffering that she was, um. I guess for those of you like listening to the podcast that don't know my wife, she's really extroverted, really vibrant, really likes to talk, loves to be around people. Um, and there, there wasn't a lot of those sorts of things that I wanted to do for four and a half years, um, mm-hmm. which isn't to say that we didn't do them, but there were a lot of times where she chose to be with me at home um, because she didn't want me to be alone because she wanted me to, to tangibly feel the presence of a friend. Um, like in time, you really learned to um, like emotionally kind of give me what I need to, which is to say like, not to gas me up unnecessarily, not to, you know, blow smoke at my butt, but to give me the courage when I needed it um, to, you know, kind of direct me to doing the things that are helpful, getting sleep, eating healthy meals, working out, getting outside, seeing some friends. Um, and you yeah. really learn to be gentle in the, in the truth telling sense of doing it when I needed it. Um, but learning, you know, that depression wasn't some sin that I was struggling with, but it was more like, um, it was more like I had a broken leg and I couldn't get up and, I, and walk and I couldn't run. Um, but learning to administer to me the care that I needed given that illness. Yeah. Yeah. I think I learned how to see small victories in like, okay, that took a lot of effort from you. And I, I think it was probably then that I started trying to intentionally like say those things to you when I recognized them. And I think that probably was part of the, like the courage. I don't know. Like I think guys who have, like girlfriends or fiancés or wives, like they want to know that their wife believes in them 
and they want to know that their wife is for them and isn't going to leave them. Mm-hmm. And I think I had to like figure out ways to do that in the midst of that. Like, well, that's interesting that you say like the small small victories, like uh, that you just said that because that like kind of that like resonates with me because I see things probably similar to the way you see it in big or small, like like black, oh yeah, like, black and white, like there's. <laughs> Yeah, there's black and white. So like if there's either, there's either you won the NBA championship or you didn't win anything. Like yeah. everything in between that really doesn't matter. I don't yeah. care about your MVPs. I don't care about that. You either win the chip or you don't. And it's like that's not how other people think. No. And, and like it's also, also not how life works. <laughs> but exactly. it's how I, like it, but it, it's how I see the world. I, I relate to that a ton, Andy. And I had to see that. And like that was very much those are the sorts of conversations Scott and I had in while we were living in Minnesota in the worst of it, we're like, he was like, can't you see these efforts that I'm making? And I'm like, but it's not Mm. everything. And then I like learned like, Mm. Oh, I, that's, that's not the way the world works. Yeah, totally. I get right. That's like a big takeaway. That's like a big takeaway for me and being like, I think I just need to work on that in general. Just like, okay, just because somebody didn't, you know, solve world hunger doesn't mean that they didn't feed, feed a homeless person on the streets. Like there's, there's two, those are two, like, yeah, there are two things in the same realm, but both important. And, and the small thing, like every major championship has a lot of small steps. And so like that, right. I don't know when you said that, that was, that was like, wow, like that, like what, like I get that, that makes sense. Yeah. And so like, mm-hmm. that'll make sense going forward for me. And like, just learning how to be a better friend to people is like, yeah, not everything, not, nobody sees the world in the, in the eyes of, of Andy Schmidt besides Andy Schmidt. So I have to be able to, <laughs> To do what Jesus did and being like, okay, Jesus, what did he do? He tried to, he tried to see the eyes and, and, and he tried to see the world in the eyes of us, which is why he came down and became one of us. Yeah. And like, that's how he, that's how he did it. So, so I gotta, yeah. I gotta do that as well. Um, yeah. I think for me and my personality, there are a couple things. One is like, I don't like, this is going to sound maybe like a stuck up brat and that's fine because maybe I am, but like, I just don't like people pushing their way into my stuff, like into my personal life and my business. Like I, I am, a, I am a very outgoing extroverted person, but I am very selective in terms of the sorts of people who I invite into like what I'm really going through right now in the moment. Um, and I, I have grown in that. I've learned not to be so um, guarded. But I think with that, like the people who have been really good friends to me have been, I I would say like two different types of people. Like the one had been the people who just, so the, my depression was worst. I think after Luca was born, I had postpartum depression, but then it stuck around for quite a while. Um, And it was just like people just who were with me and just like just would sit with me and who wouldn't expect a ton of me, who wouldn't try and pry and have me open up and say all these things I was feeling and talk about it, which maybe guys aren't like that, but girls are. And so like people who would just sit and just let me be sad and talk to them. That was really like talk about whatever, not like about the deep stuff. And then I think the other people were the people who pushed me when they knew I, I really needed to go there because some of it was, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to talk about it and I wanted to repress it. And so sometimes the good friends to me were the people who were like, listen, I know that you're, I know that you're just avoiding this right now and we've got to go there. 
Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, John, do you have any like what do you what do you think? The with the like what does a good friend look like? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like yours would look very yeah, continue. Yeah, you can. You yeah, can I mean, I think I think for me I I've this is this is something that I've been reflecting on um with regards to this kind of stuff is like it seems to me that the people who who end up coming out of this difficult like depression or darkness or difficult traumas or things like that seem to almost always be able to be like this person was the person who helped me kind of get through it and so for me um yeah i mean for me that person was was in large part vince vince pieri (laughs) down in the old the old bridge church in kentucky kentucky um Shut up. But we we lived together um, in so it was me, Vince, and another guy named Brandon Brooks lived together from the fall of 2016 through 2017. Um, and what that looked like for for Vince's relationship with me was it was a he 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 knew that the. Um, that some of what I was dealing with in my depression was like a, this sort of this sense of like not living up to my potential. And so of like this, like that there was, there was much that I was capable of doing, but like my, basically like the state of my character was keeping me from getting there. And that's, that's part of what made me feel terrible. Um, and so, the the things that were very helpful was he was he made himself consistently present consistently available like he was always he was quick to respond when he had calls or texts or talking to him in person oh we got some uh, <laughs> what's going on over there yeah. <laughs> there we got a motorcycle gang pulling up trying to fight so yeah, so we might have to take a pause from the for the podcast. We're going to take a pause for the podcast right, to show these guys what's good, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think for 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 Vince, it was like there was there was a lot of power in like presence, and um, he consistently pointed me towards my relationship with God, and consistently pointed me towards spending time with God. Um, but I. I, I felt a sense of like, like radical acceptance and like radical dude, yeah. presence from Vince. That's freaking Vince, dude. Those are the two ways to describe Vince. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so crazy. Yeah. So you, those you things were very helpful that? to me. So it's, it's tricky because it's like, I think there is, yeah, there's like a tricky balance between, okay, how do you how do you not get over involved or like, are we supposed to become strong enough in Christ that we can, that we can get really deeply involved and like that we can bear a lot of the weight of bearing, of bearing texts that come in the middle of the night or that like, Mm -hmm. like seven or eight phone calls a week or like, but I think Whatever. that part of the issue with that, John, is like the who you're talking to. Like if we're talking to mature Christians, yeah, totally. I think we've got to say you've this is part of what it means to bear with one another's burdens. 
if we're talking to yeah. high schoolers who don't know up or from college, down or college, or college students who are sorting it out, like I, I think that there's a little bit more onus on a college student because they're learning those things. Like I think everything has to be measured and scaffolded according to that person's own maturity. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I think that like given – Maybe that wouldn't have always been true of the of like late teens, early twenties, but I don't I just don't know that like as a generation they know how to do that sort of thing yet. Yeah, and maybe no, maybe they learn by doing it, you know? I don't know. Right. No, they have no idea. my generation is <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. We're jacked up and the last, yeah. So I think it's, I think the, the what, what uh, I think it's more of talking to people. I think more of the people that listen to this podcast are just younger, younger people who are also younger believers yeah. as well. And so kind of getting into like that, that's, that's like a good way of, uh, of helping with this, the way you guys just explained what type of a friend you would be. Yeah. But like, other than that, like, are, are there any other I mean, like, but this is, I mean, this, this thing too, though, is like, this is a strong, this is a strong part of the drive that I feel even to, to like, to grow in my maturity is like, I see the ways that people like Vince or I had another buddy named Travis who was, who was very influential in my college years that they just like radically entered my life. And like mm-hmm. that, that did things that are that are going to have echoes in eternity, like that are, that have profoundly shaped my life that have like profoundly changed the person who I am. And I so want that. Like I so want to be able to be strong enough to be able to enter into people's lives in that kind of a way. Like I, I was just like a couple nights ago, I was reading um, that hideous strength by CS Lewis. And it's uh, I was in the part where um, Jane, who's one of the main characters meets the the Jesus character for the first time in the book and the the description of like the way that she both I mean this is also similar to the to the sermon that Nick was talking about um, this past Sunday of like the way that she felt both like radically challenged and accepted by this Jesus character and like the way that C.S. Lewis writes it that kind of thing just like makes me want to grow you know and so I think it can be helpful to, to yes, be like, okay, if you're, if you're a college student or if you're a high schooler, like there, there are some ways where you just need to, just need to try and, and you give it your best and that's fine. But like, man, we can't stop there. You know, like mm-hmm. we, like we're the thing that Jesus wants to make us into is so much more than just like, ah, eh, I'll help you out with like a phone call or two a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that. That's big. That's big. That's big. Well, that's what you do, uh, John. That's what you do with me. And like, I, I'm the, the worst of the worst, you know? <laughs> so if you can handle me, you can handle like everybody else. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, like this is another one of those topics where it's like, you could talk and talk and talk and talk about it because yeah. there's so many different outcomes and so many different things. But obviously we don't have, we don't have all that time, but is there any like final, I don't know, final things you guys want to say, like um, anything, I guess, just how to help. I, yeah. I thought of one thing while we were 
while we were talking is that um, I think probably so I forget this often, like one of the main things that you can do to help is just pray for the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the corny, the corny thing that Christians say is like the, the pro- power of prayer. I think that's corny, but it's true. And like um, the, the alliteration is corny and, and that type of thing. But um, anyways, that that's true. Like people like praying, like that does, it, it does a ton for people. So I think, I think that that just might be like an easy, easy way of uh, just pray, just pray for people. Like God's going to hand, yeah. like, you know, and I think it can be, Right. I think it can be very helpful to also pray with that person, like in person, like mm-hmm. for that person, to, for that person to not only be prayed for, but also to see, to see you pleading before God for them can, can be very, can be very helpful. Um, I think, yeah. uh, I think a final thought or no, go ahead, Scott. Um, yeah, I think your prayer to God has the same sort of, wait whether it's in person or apart from that individual but i think the amount of courage that you generate for that individual is like 40 fold when it's in person right like it's nice to know that somebody's praying for you Mm. that's great but when somebody's there you know like with their hand on on your shoulder and you can hear them like you said pleading to god on on their behalf i think the amount of courage that i get from that is multiplied 40 fold yeah And I think like one of the things that Scott and I would talk about in the midst of that was you both, I think, I think maybe we've all mentioned this, the sense of hopelessness that you have when you're depressed, that was really present for him. And I, I don't remember where I heard it first, but like we would talk about like, all right, well, it's okay if you don't have hope right now, because I do. And I have hope for both of us. And I think that that sort of like confidence from another person that they don't feel like this is it for you and this is the end for you can be similarly like um, emboldening for that person. Like I've had similar feelings, whether it's been with depression or anxiety, where Scott has done that for me. And like he's been the like the steady buoy, even though I feel like the waves are going crazy around me. And so – I think that's a helpful, a way that you can uh, be a good friend to that person too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I John, think a final thought, another thing? yeah, I think a final yeah. thought for me is um, as much as, as much as you can. And obviously like, I know these things are, especially when you're like in the midst of depression, it can be very easy to just like in some ways want it to go deeper um, as much as you can, like do the kinds of things that will, that like do everything you can to not make it worse, you know, like get enough sleep, wake up at the same time every morning, have a good breakfast, pray, talk to people, go outside. Um, and those are in like in the dark times, those are some of like the hardest things to do. But those are also the things that help, like, help create sort of a sort of a floor that you don't go under so that you can deal with the kind of with like the real hard things and the real things in your relationship with God that are going on. It's it's very easy to to drop through that floor and then not be able to deal with anything, you know. Um, So I think as much as possible, 
if and if you are a friend to somebody who is depressed like i think it can be very helpful to try and to try and help them just to get some of those structures in their lives um but that can be a really helpful first step yeah that's all really good stuff yeah i, I mean thing, like a, oh yeah yeah okay um kind of addressing the the individual who wrote the question um and those and Christians listening to this who might not be particularly experienced with what we've been talking about. I think that it's first helpful to know mental illness isn't a sin. Um, Trying to tell someone that um, they just need to not be depressed or just pray or just trust God more is equivalent to like telling somebody who's been shot to stop bleeding. Um, Like it's not a choice that somebody makes. It's not a, uh, sort of moral failure. It's not a spiritual disorder or some kind of character defect. Um, and then that, that role of somebody entering into it, um, I think it's really important. Um, right. To not have somebody attribute the blame of your suffering to that person. Right. So like when somebody tells you that um, to, to stop, being depressed or to just believe more or trust more that has a sort of, that just makes it worse because it seems like the reason it's happening is because of you. Um, and that sort of compounding effect can just be really crippling to hear from somebody who's a friend, somebody who's looking out for you. Um, and so just to be wary of kind of how you're viewing it and to view it more of like a gunshot wound or a broken leg or cancer as the, in the way that we treat physical illnesses. Well, and I think like that, I mean, related to that, like we, there, especially and particularly in the Psalms, we see a lot of lament from David and a lot of pain that he's experiencing, a lot of like despair and loneliness and these senses of hopelessness. And, and we also see him turning to God and trusting God. But I do think that it's important that like we're, Not to say, and Scott, you're not saying this, you're not saying that someone in those states can't sin because of that. Like, I think that that's totally possible, but that like the feeling and the emotion that we have itself is something that is an indicator of what's going on within us, but it itself isn't the problem. There can be problems that led to that feeling. There can be problems that become or that come because of that feeling if we allow ourselves to get there, but the feeling itself is not the issue we have to choose what we're going to do with it and how we're going to respond to it that's good yeah that's good yeah and so basically i think um yeah this is like again this is like a super big topic so so we didn't we obviously didn't cover every little thing but i think that we got a lot of really good stuff out of this um and i'm i'm glad that we had that you guys came on uh, Scott and Nicole, that was, yeah. that was, thank you for coming on. Um, again, dude, if people listen to this and they're like, I still have more questions and I don't get what John said here or what, or what someone said, or Andy sounds like an idiot most of the time, email us and tell, tell us that I, I, you can tell me I sound like an idiot. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be constructive at all, but you could do it. Um, really, but yeah, really email us the landing here. 
Yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm sure there's like a bug next to me. I have to. Okay, so I want to explain this why the motorcycle went across. So I am recording this out in my garage um, because our Wi Fi is straight up cheeks at our house right now because we just moved. And so the, the motorcycle went past, and I'm trying to end this podcast. And there's a freaking bug that looks like it could kill me to my right. And it's and it's and it's freaking out right now and it's moving all over the place and I don't know what it's doing. So that's why I sound like a complete right. fool. What right Andy's now. trying to say is if you have any questions or if you disagree with us, email the podcast. Send it to N Gibson email at highpointchurch.org. Yes. right 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 yeah so email 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 us more questions and we will gladly answer them um other than that uh listen to next week's podcast as we're going to be doing dating part three with johnny boy um we know that those ones have been kind of popular so this is going to be good i'm gonna i'm gonna grill john and his fiance on on some oh christine's gonna be on the pod she's gonna be on the pod that's the point. oh it's gonna happen uh so yeah make sure to tune in also check out the optive music podcast as we're dropping another podcast we just recorded it so we're gonna have that one's gonna be up uh soon as well other than that cloud <laughs> put the link in the show uh, yeah if you'll check it out I'd love right it. i'd appreciate it oh like like and subscribe. for sure yeah he's a soundcloud rapper oh smash that like button and make sure to hit subscribe uh, you, you guys already know. Hit that yeah. subscribe button. Hit that follow button. You know, make sure to tell your friends. Post us on your stories. <laughs> you guys, you, you know the whole thing. Bucks and six. Uh, even though there's no playoffs, Bucks and six still. Um, so besides that, we. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it for today, right? That's that's about yep. it. Other than, yeah, no, that's it. All right. So thank you guys for listening, and we will see you guys in the next one. See ya. See you later.